you can work 60 hours a week and be perfectly healthy and have a good sense of well-being and a strong sense of purpose if your leadership team is treating you as a unique individual and that you feel valued and that you feel safe and that you feel secure and that you have you know creativity being inspired within you on a daily basis and that you feel that it's okay to fail and make mistakes and you know that there's going to be someone there to pick you up dust you off teach you the right skills to build your resilience and move forward so just saying that by switching everyone onto four-day working weeks is going to solve the problem it's not if inherently your culture is wrong and your management style is wrong that's chris hall the founder of the burnt chef project and on this episode of chef life radio he joins us to discuss his work in making the hospitality industry a safer and more sustainable place for everyone. Hear how the project is making a difference and learn what you can do to support their efforts. This is Chef Life Radio, serving chefs just like you who want to enjoy their careers without sacrificing their lives. I'm your host, Adam Lamb, and over my 30-year career as a chef and hospitality professional, I've coached and mentored thousands of culinarians who've led lives of contribution, community, and authentic leadership. Let me be your guide on this journey together, looking for solutions and perspectives to some of the biggest issues impacting the hospitality industry, our lives, and our careers today. We Chef! And now, back to the show. So today we're very, very, very excited to be able to speak to Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project, something that is near and dear to my heart is, you know, for those of you who are listening, you can't probably see, but I got the fuck stigma t-shirt, which came from the burnt chef project. And I'm really, really happy that you're here, man. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, thanks for supporting us with the, with the merchandise as well. It's great to see it in, <laughs> in foreign lands. Well, it all goes to a good cause, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, I often get called out for being a, you know, uh, an overweight 60-year-old driving fast Ferraris. And as you can clearly see by both the environment I'm sat in and uh, and the way that I look, I'm, n- I'm none of those things. And the be- the beat-up Mazda outside is, uh, yeah, it's definitely not the Ferrari. But, you know, er- everything, every last penny that's generated by this project goes directly into doing exactly what it says on the tin. And it's, you know, supporting the industry, making it healthier and more sustainable for everyone, really. Right. So if this is the first time any listener is actually hearing about the Burnt Chef project, can you kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of what the project is about? Yeah, certainly. So the Burnt Chef project, it's been going for about two years now. It is a nonprofit social enterprise or a not-for-profit organization based in the UK, but operating internationally now with the sole purpose of ensuring that the hospitality industry is a safer and more sustainable industry for us all to work in. And we do that through challenging the stigma attached specifically to mental health, raising awareness for mental health issues within hospitality as a result of high levels of stress and poor operational setups, and the stoic macho culture that we've either grown to love or grown to loathe Mm. within hospitality. And we do that through a range of different initiatives, including merchandise to raise awareness and funds, through free online training through the Burnt Chef Academy, through support services, such as the Burnt Chef Support Service over in the UK. We've got a small extension over in America and Canada. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, much, much more to come. Life coaches, 
additional support services, independent business reviews for well-being. The the list keeps growing, but uh, we're far far from done at this moment in time. Yeah, it is amazing what you've been able to put together in two years, and the resources on the website are just incredible. I was blown away by everything that you guys had to offer. And it seems like that there's a, that this is a very unique time in our industry for lots of different reasons, primarily because, you know, COVID kind of stripped away all the, all the facade and, you know, put people out of work. Those that stayed like me in the industry for the last two years, it was probably the biggest challenge I've ever had to manage, you know, running a, a dining service in a, in a retirement community center and so there's 650 people that I have to try to manage their expectations throughout this ever-changing, ever-evolving environment. Plus, you know, the 120 staff that reported to me that, you know, from any particular day were, were either okay or they were having really, really hard, hard issues. So the fact that COVID came along, I think, is a blessing in disguise. I mean, I know that there's loss and tragedy involved in that. But for the industry, I think it's a, a unique opportunity, as I said, and I keep calling it the great reset, you know, regardless of what anybody says. So it's a unique opportunity to address a lot of the systematic issues that have been there for a long time. And we thought, and I mean, we as chefs and folks who had been hired in the industry and kind of felt like we didn't really have any opportunity to change things. I think this, this is a really unique time. Yeah, definitely. And I, t- I take no solace or pleasure in saying that COVID has helped us with our message because the whole point of the Burnt Chef project was that we noticed that numbers were dwindling within our great, great profession. And I've stopped calling it an industry now. I call it a profession because Mm. that's exactly what it should be. And that's what our goal is, is to make this a recognized profession of skilled craftsmen and women around the world. But we noticed that you know, colleges' uptake were, were dwindling. People were leaving the industry at a much earlier age because they weren't, you know, they weren't thriving. If you saw a, a head chef or an exec chef at the age of sort of 35 or 40, then you were doing pretty well. The, you know, people weren't having a sustained career. But COVID thrust all of us in, in the world into a a highly anxious state. But it also gave hospitality professionals an opportunity for the first time in their life to re-grasp what it is to be human and what it is to have a life and to connect with friends, to connect with family, to connect with the, the core things that are important within us as animals' lives, you know. And that's taken a big impact on the industry and it's also taken a big impact on people's way of thinking and their perceptions and uh, yeah it's been it's been a challenging time adjusting to that time off but also now having to adjust to going back into those old systems from a scoffier from the late 19th century whereby nothing really has changed a great deal from that militant system yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned you know the old brigade system and kind of the militaristic way that the brigade is set up and it's very unfortunate that as the economies around the world are starting to open up, guests are really excited to 
to get back into community and relationship with each other. And they're using the restaurants and the cafes and the pubs as their focal point without necessarily realizing the challenge that we've been dealing with for the past 15, 16 months. But now as everybody reopens, I clearly remember when it went from, you know, lockdown to in-person dining, I was crazy stressed and, you know, kept pushing back and like, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. And at some point you have to be. And I'm a member of a lot of chef groups on Facebook and I don't necessarily post much, but I watch the comments very, very closely. And some folks are really at the end of their stamina dealing with these increased cover counts and much reduced staff. I think that's more a comment than a question, but Chris, if I could just kind of get your perspective. You worked with the hospitality industry in what capacity? So I've, whilst I've worked in hospitality myself, I worked in some busy bars on the south coast of, of the UK in Costa del Bournemouth, which is one of our busiest tourist destinations. So I, I spent two years working as a, as a bar manager for a really, really busy pub. You know, where you look mm-hmm. up and it's you feel sick to the stomach because it's been four deep for fucking hours. And hours. everybody's raising their empty glass. <laughs> oh, everyone. And it's one of these places where they were serving cheap alcohol as well. So you know what sort of clientele you've got coming in. Mm. But my background's actually in a plethora of different industries. I've worked in business consulting for the travel industry. I was a sales development guy for mechanical engineering sector. I've worked in large corporate insurance sector as well. So I've worked in a lot of different industries. But for me, about 10 years ago, I fell into hospitality from a food wholesale supply point of view. And I was supplying Mm -hmm. some of the best Michelin-style restaurants in the South Coast. And I was immediately struck by the demeanor of a kitchen environment, the way that it was run, the respect, the just there was something about it that got to me that combined with the fact that i was working with ingredients that i'd never even heard of before like peruvian yams and you know i'd i'd, <laughs> I'd established what a finger lime was and over in the uk we don't get finger limes we were importing them from australia and you know i was mm. playing with thousands of pounds worth of alba truffles it for me i was just completely absorbed by the fact that we had this, these seasons that were ever-changing. We had these creative individuals that I was getting an opportunity to work with where I could not only fuel my own passion for these ingredients and for the industry, but I could also inspire the people that I was working with. My, my clients, if you like, but I could inspire their creativity. And, and there was something about that that really sort of, you know, really spoke to me. What did you discover through the process? Like, what are your core values that you can kind of touch on right now? Bloody good question. A very good question. I like that a lot. No one's ever asked me well, that before, other than that cognitive well, behavior here, therapist. Well, and here's, here's the reason I ask, is that I recognize that in my own life, without specific core values about what contribution I want to make, what kind of life I want to live, if I can't continue to come back to that, for lack of a better word, mission statement and touch those core values, then it's easy for me to get kind of sideswiped and pushed over by other people's opinions or, or my boss or whatever. And, you know, the last couple of years was very, very difficult for me in regards to my, my relationship with my direct report. And it caused me to do a lot of work and go a lot of places 
And I voluntarily left my position because, to put it frankly, I wanted to relaunch this podcast because I thought this was the absolute right time to do it. And I've just gotten so, not going to get say tired, but I've gotten so dismayed at, at every day going through these Facebook groups. And there's another picture of a young chef who took his own life. And having been on the brink several times myself, I understand what that looks like. So the mission of the podcast is very simple. You know, not, not one more you know, not on my watch, whatever I can do to do that. And that's what helps me to get up and go. And I think for a lot of people out there, especially culinary professionals who are consumed with creating food and using food as their expression, they don't really have any other core values (laughs) other than that. And I would love to be able to see job postings now by employers and organizations that actually talk about their core values first in those first three or four lines So someone could actually look at that and say, do I align with that or not? I was listening to the latest podcast that you did with that young man who, you know, continually found himself in these situations where, you know, people said they were going to do something and they didn't. And, you know, he persevered, but, you know, that takes a lot of grit and moxie and it kind of wears you down. So I would love for you to, you know, talk to us about, you know, what you discovered about your core values. Yeah, I'm again, you know, fantastic question. And just to go back to what you're saying about job applications and businesses, I 100% believe that anyone who wants to have a successful business needs to focus on the well being of their staff as paramount and to always have pillars, foundations, core values, principles, whatever you want to call them, but things that are intrinsic. As exposed as opposed to extrinsic. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. not about the fact that we want to be the biggest and most profitable company in the world. It's about the <laughs> fact that we value our employees and we want them to be healthy and happy and mm-hmm. safe and, you know, to be courageous without fear of fear of falling, you know? And if they do fall, it's okay, right. you know. So for me, it all started. And I won't go into a long spiel, but when I was 18, I'd experienced a really heavy bout of depression. And I didn't know it until later on after cognitive behavioral therapy, but it bedridden me. You know, I was self-harming. I was paranoid. I wouldn't get out of bed. I was in tears every single day. Didn't know what the hell was going on with me. Just thought I wasn't long for this world. And eventually I, I took a step outside of the bed. And then I took a step outside of the bedroom and I built myself up over a period of years just through, I guess, what you call it from a clinical perspective, exposure therapy. I just exposed myself bit by bit to life (laughs) and to to push myself, you know. But unfortunately, during that journey, I learned a bad habit. And that bad habit was in order for me to fit in in social situations, I had to completely change who I was to fit what people expected me to be. Now, I remember that day as clear as it was yesterday because I knew that at that point, that decision would have cost me. And it wasn't until I was sat in that cognitive behavioral therapy and she turned around and said, well, when, when was it that you felt like you couldn't be yourself? And I was like, well, I can tell you exactly when it was, when I was 17 or 18. And so what I'd realized I'd been doing over all the years was I had been, and I think that any time something had sat uncomfortably with me, that disagreed with me, 
I swallowed it down and I brought it back up as, yeah, I completely agree with you. You're 100% right. Yeah, no, I, I am an idiot. Yeah, no, whatever you say, I, yeah, 100%. I was agreeable. So one of my first core values that I established was don't always be agreeable. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a dick. You don't have to go around right. and chip, chip <laughs> off your shoulder and say, you're wrong, I'm right, this is the way it's got to be. But yeah. to understand that if something doesn't sit right with you, that's okay. And no one else can tell you otherwise. You've got to live with yourself. You feel you're, you exist in this world. And so that if you feel that there's something that doesn't agree, if someone says something, or if there's a certain action towards you by your employer or by someone that you know, or even a friend or family member, that it's okay to speak up and to voice that. So that was one of my things. Another thing was to be transparent. So for me, I am as transparent as possible. And to the point where I often say things completely transparently and honestly that I shouldn't because it will either get me into trouble or it will get, you know, someone else into, into trouble. But I have, I've, I've told a few white lies in my time, but I will always be open and honest. That's one of the reasons why I did so well from a sales perspective, because I walk into a kitchen and some, you know, a chef, a client of mine would be like, you're, you know, you fucking you fucked up this order, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, do you know what? Hands up, 100%. <laughs> it was me. I messed up. But here's what I'll do to rectify it for you. So being transparent, being honest, being accountable as well, you know, taking responsibility because at the same time, you know, someone who's, if you're hiding all the time, then it's just going to come and bite you in the ass at some stage. Yeah. You know, again, not being afraid to speak up and I guess wanting to help other people, enrich other people's lives and to make a tangible change. This isn't ego, but I like the fact that actually I'm making a difference. Even if no one ever says thank you, I don't need thanks. I think that just to know that someone out there has potentially been saved as a result of the fact that yeah. we exist and we might never, ever hear about it, that's enough for me. And, and, and I think, yeah, that, that for me is, is a core value that I not only practice on a daily basis, but I also instill into my children now as well. First off, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the fact that you bring an outside perspective, not necessarily an outside perspective, but a different perspective than someone who's actually doing the grind. So can you talk a little bit about those things that you've seen both to cause you to create the Burn Chef Project and some of the things that you see now that give you encouragement? Yeah, I mean, crikey, where to begin? <laughs> where to begin let's get let's get something straight you know the 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 subject of mental health and high stress and well-being it's a it it's deemed as a negative conversation because it's pointing out all the things that are currently wrong but it shouldn't be these are things that can be resolved and that need to be addressed and for years we've just been turning a blind eye to them and accepting them terms like it is the way it is. This is just the industry. It'll never change. Customers need to pay more. That, that will fix this. I need to be paid more. Mm -hmm. That will fix it. These are the sort of things that drive me. You know, there's a number of things in there that, that 
need addressing. The there's a big. I'm speaking to some quite high named chefs over in the UK who are contacting me, going, "I've made changes to my workplace practices." I'm like, "That's fantastic. What is it?" Well, I used to work my staff seven days a week, but now I've put them on four day working weeks. They do 55 hours in four days rather than 65 hours in six, seven days. And mm-hmm. they're not happy. So, okay, that's fine. So there's this big, these conversations keep coming up. There's this big conversation around work-life balance. So everyone automatically feels that they have to go and reduce the number of days that people are working to give them more time off, but also work them harder during the days that they are working. That's a great solution for about a third of the workforce. You know, the mm-hmm. third of the workforce that are perhaps okay with doing those long hours that have the drive and have the passion but it's not okay for the younger generation who perhaps want to work and hone their skill set that's not okay for the people who perhaps have family lives and aren't able to you know to work their school pickups and other things around sure. that and i think what we've we've perhaps become a little bit the Burnt Chef Project's done a great job of raising awareness through studies that this is a, a key topic of conversation. But I think that perhaps we have become a little bit too, well, this is a quick fix, so this is what we need to do. And we're actually mm-hmm. forgetting the bigger picture. So you can work 60 hours a week and be perfectly healthy and have a good sense of well-being and a strong sense of purpose if your leadership team is treating you as a unique individual and that you feel valued and that you feel safe and that you feel secure and that you have, you know, creativity being inspired within you on a daily basis and that you feel that it's okay to fail and make mistakes and you know that there's going to be someone there to pick you up, dust you off, teach you the right skills to build your resilience and move forward. So just saying that by switching everyone onto four-day working weeks is going to solve the problem, it's not, if inherently your culture is wrong and your management style is wrong. And that does bring me on to one of the key areas. And, you know, I'm a non-profit rather than a charity. So what it means is that I can't take any profits as a, as a director. I can take a very small mm-hmm. amount of profits. Everything is asset locked, so I don't own it. It's asset locked by, you know, a charity partner. But what it does mean is that I can start to put in place solutions. So the merchandise raises awareness, it starts conversation. We're also building training modules to address the other big issue, which is skill gap shortage. Because one thing that I noticed, so I was 20 years of age working for a large insurance company, national insurance company in the UK, and I had been fully trained, six months worth of management training to manage a team of 10, where three of my oldest members of my team was 50, 60 years old, waiting for retirement. Mm-hmm. And a load of my youngest members of my team were 17, 18, fresh out of school, didn't really know, you know, the arse from their elbow. But my job was to, using the skill sets that I've been provided, work with these individuals to make sure that I was maximizing their potential. Now, the key thing in that story is the fact that I was trained for six months, I was trained in coaching, ad hoc coaching, regular performance reviews, the right sort of language to use, you know, the open questioning to be able to inspire people to get to do things. So over here, I call it bums on goalposts. So over, obviously, rugby posts over here are, uh, are giant H's, right? In the same similar way that, so your American football posts, yeah? 
Now, if you get a load of guys sat on that post and you stand behind them, their asses look like Ws. So one thing that I always sort of t- tell people and they want to co- inspire people is get them to have a say in the direction they're going in. How, what, who, why, when. Yeah. Rather than, are you going to do this today or are you going to do it tomorrow? All of a sudden, you've just stripped control away from that individual. You've given them a yes, yes scenario. They don't have a control over it. They're going to agree with something. Whereas if you say, how are we going to achieve this goal and what sort of timescales do you reckon we're going to do it in? All of a sudden, they're like, I've got a say in this, you know, exactly the same result, just done in a completely different way. So one thing that we have in hospitality is that we are all taught to be, you know, have a have a service, you know, be efficient, do things faster, do things more skilled, do them more professionally. But we are never, ever, ever taught, or in very rare instances, to lead, to effectively communicate. And so what we have is, Low skills, skill set with regards to management, man management, people, communication. Added to that, you've got a high turnover of staff because ultimately your team don't potentially want, don't want to work in that environment for extended so, of time. Mm-hmm. Now you've got your head chef's left. Your sous chef's now your head chef. Your CDP's now your sous chef. Your KP's now your CDP. And at no stage has any of these these guys or girls learned the skill sets that it requires to be able to have an effective effective team and be able to instigate change. So that, for me, is one of the key things, is that we as an industry, and, and one thing we're trying to take the lead on, is actually we're saying, do you know what? In order to get better well-being, we need to be able to support individuals with their own mental health issues because they are there. Four out of five people within hospitality have had a mental health issue during their career. But also at the same time, we need to be able to provide free training to those who want it so that we can make you more effective. We can ensure that you are looking after your team in a better way and that your communication, your, your listening, that your body language, that your, you know, even something like a performance review or a one-to-one, you know, if you say that word within a hospitality environment, the first thing that happens is someone goes, fuck, I'm in trouble. What have I done wrong? Whereas, in fact, actually, it shouldn't be deemed as that. And one-to-one is an opportunity where two people can sit down in an organization. You can sit down with your boss or your manager and you say, how am I doing? And they'll be like, yeah, well, how do you think you're doing? Like, what is it that you want to work on? Where can I help you further your career? You know, what is it that, that we can identify together and that we can work on together to be able to achieve your goals, but also help me achieve mine and fit into this organization and make everything a lot better for everyone like how much better does that sound sounds exciting you know in the last two years with everything that was going on one of the things that i was most proud of was creating a mentorship program for hourly associates who wanted to get into management you know and it was staggered and there were one-on-ones and there were reading assignments and all kinds of stuff like that a lot of it was about the softer skills rather than hard skills, although there was that too. And there were actually two people who went through it successfully. But this whole idea about, you know, now all of a sudden everybody's moving on and you have to fill those positions because the operation doesn't slow down, yet they're not given the skill set in order to do that, I think is a failing. And that's one of the reasons I'm fond of saying I think leadership is a red herring. I think that word specifically to the culinary industry or the culinary 
craft is bullshit because really what people are looking for is they're looking for mentorship. They're looking for elbow to elbow, someone to support them, someone to, you know, allow them to make failures that don't hurt the guests or anybody else and create this environment where they can stretch themselves a little bit so that they can actually get to know their capacity. And like you say, resilience, which I think is so undervalued. And so I'm, I'm completely down, man. You know, this whole idea of mentorship doesn't take any, any longer time. You know, a lot of it happens elbow to elbow on the line as you're working right next to one another, having these small, intimate conversations in the midst of your entire day that makes such a big difference to somebody on their way. And so I guess it comes back to this idea of culture. What kind of culture do you actually want to create within your environment? What kind of community do you want to work in? And ultimately, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Because really, I thought all my career that my success or failure as a chef would be how many other chefs came out of my kitchen, you know, that went on to succeed not only with their food, but also creating environments where people could, again, kind of be crucibles of excellence, not through, you know, the fact that we got to all step through the fire, which we do, but that they always felt that there was somebody that was going to listen to them and give them advice. And, you know, I wasn't always this way, <laughs> but I like to think that I smartened up pretty quickly. So this whole idea about act as opposed to talk, I think is really important. So can you talk about like the academy and some of the trainings that you guys are providing right now? Yeah, sure. So as I say, awareness is our first sort of pillar or my first pillar. And, and can I just say like, I never, ever, ever thought that two years ago, I would be having conversations all around the world about mental health. I only ever wanted to, or only... I want to do this, but I only ever set out to raise a thousand pounds and raise a little bit of awareness in my hometown and help a few people with some mental health training. What I didn't yeah. ever see was Pandora's box opening, that all of this start to flood out and then COVID hitting and feeling like it was my moral obligation and duty to do something about it. Yep. So. For me, the academy is a step on that direction so that we can start to help individuals with the problems they're experiencing. But that's all very well and good, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on a splinter. It's still going to be in there, and unless you pull it out and you start to dress it, it's going to just keep causing problems. So the academy is a free app. It's available on Google and Android. It's also available online as well, and you can register for it for free through our website. It provides free modules on any subject that we as the Burnt Chef Project, and, and again, the Burnt Chef Project it gives you an impression that it's a massive organization. There's myself and my wife who helps part-time and, and a part-time marketing manager. So everything that you see, and I think this is one of the key things that I really want people to understand, is everything that you see about the Burnt Chef Project has predominantly been built by one person and supported by an entire industry. I've had volunteers, I've had people come and help, but if ever you think that you're not capable of doing something, you bloody are. Your potential is limitless. And even if you don't know how to get to your goal, 
Start focusing on that goal and start taking the steps in the right direction because you are capable of so much more than you ever thought was possible. So the Burn Chef modules are basically modules that I have put together that I feel address our overall goal, which is making the industry healthier and more sustainable. They're modules on personal resilience, stress management, managing mental health in the workplace, effective communication. There's modules on there on mental health awareness or managers' mental health awareness because it's important that we empower our management teams to understand what mental health issue looks like and most importantly, give them the courage to be able to engage with that conversation rather than just fear it like I did for many years. And even the word suicide, you know, is a word that still sits deeply uncomfortably with me but it's important that we start talking about it. We owe it to the people who are experiencing these, these, these experiences, these illnesses, to be able to say to them, we can talk to you about it and we can do so safely. You know, we can say to you, are you feeling suicidal? You know, mm-hmm. open up that conversation because that's all in many cases that you need to do in order to try and alleviate just even a minor bit what people are, are going through. More modules are coming. You know, as soon as I be I can get enough revenue coming in, capital, so that I can start to expand my team and free me up and also free up some capital so that we can pay more psychologists, more performance psychologists, you know, more experts to help me build these modules. We will do, but if we have modules planned on rotor planning, you know, rot- putting rotors in place three months in advance, like mine blown can you imagine knowing Mm. in two weeks three weeks four weeks five weeks time when your days off are and knowing that they're unlikely to change you know modules on bullying how to uh, spot it identify and deal with it sexual harassment diversity training you know modules on performance reviews you know how to hold a good performance review to set tangible tasks so that individuals know exactly where they stand with an organization, but also gives them the ability to say where they want to go in an organization and what they want to focus on. You know, my brain is so full of things that I want to put onto this academy and provide to free for the industry that I am only limited by the two hands, two legs, two eyes, and two ears that I've got to be able to do it. And... This is the this is the frustrating thing about the Burnt Chef project now is that it, we have reached over 112 countries across the world. 112 countries. If there's anyone in Antarctica at the moment, please can you like come and check us out because at the moment you're a big black hole on my map. <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely, like there is so much good that we can provide. But in order for us to do that, people need to be able to support us so that we can support them. And we'll continue to develop, like, as I say, I'm working on a network of life coaches, an international network of life coaches, so that individuals, individuals like yourself, you know, can mentor across the entire hospitality industry and help people find their why, find their core values and find what it Mm -hmm. is they want to achieve in life and still have a happy, healthy career within hospitality you know it might be that they set up their own company it might be that they become a producer and start sourcing the finest strawberries 
whatever it might be, I think that sometimes we just need to be able to talk to someone about it. And so that's one of my long-term goals, to increase the support service, the immediate text-based support service that we offer to every country around the world, do it in multinational languages. Again, I can see pound and dollar signs in my head in terms of how much that time and money that will cost, but it doesn't exist because people have deemed it too difficult or too hard. But right. by Jove, I'm going to fucking do it. I want to do it to be able to help the industry. And it's achievable. Just because it hasn't been done yet doesn't mean it's not possible. So there's, there's a lot more to come. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, man. If, if you're interested in, any, in, like for me, I studied a little bit of psychology before I dropped out of college. And one of the studies that always sits with me was the Stanford experiment. Do go and check it out. It doesn't absolve people of things that they've done in their past in the same way that a criminal who's st stolen $1,000 from a shop has still stolen that $1,000. But if he's been in prison and he's come out and he's, you know, he's making a difference to people's lives, then you can't hold that over him. But the Stanford experiment is really interesting because what it does is it takes two, two groups of students that are, you know, they know each other, they're on good terms, puts them in a prison, splits them down the middle, one group of wardens, one group of prisoners. They had to call the experiment off within six days because the things that the wardens were doing to the prisoners were so heinous and violating mm -hmm. that it was seriously long-term damaging the, the prisoners. And the interesting thing to take away from that is that we are products, we're animals, we are products of our environment. So yes, you might have learned that in the past it was okay to you know berate, berate someone and to drive them down and to make them feel small and insignificant. You think you know that's something that you've learned as a learned behavior. It doesn't mean that that's okay. And the question is, what are you going to do about that now to make up for it? I think that's a perfect place to leave it, Chris. Thanks so much for your time. As I said, consider me an ally for sure. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio. If you enjoyed it, it made you think, laugh, or get pissed off, then please tell a friend. Get your free copy of Three Ideas for Less Chef Stress by signing up for our monthly newsletter at chefliferadio.com forward slash sign up. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island. We believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more community, and a lot less fuck you. Finally, consider for a second, for all the blood, sweat, and sometimes even tears we put into what we do, really, at the end of the day, that's just some brown stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it, even the crappy parts while we're doing it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? Like it, Hefe. I love it. I am humble. The goddamn glory box that I don't live on now. <laughs> Follow us at Facebook.com, Chef Life Radio, Twitter at Chef Life Radio, on Instagram at Chef Life Radio, and check out our website, ChefLifeRadio.com. Oh, yes, Chef. Stand tall and frosty, brothers and sisters. Until next time, be well and do good. Leave the light on, honey. I'm coming home late. This show was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Adam Lamb, 
at the Dish Pit Studios in Bardo, North Carolina. This has been a production of Realignment Media.